Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night for some of you. I know we've got incredible everyday innovators across the globe that listen in and think differently and buck the status quo and find ways to break through and break free. So let let me just say kudos to all of you. I think you know this, but listening to this podcast and all, all the different everyday innovators we have on just fuels the fires of innovation and success for all of us. So thank you to all of you listening out there. Super excited for today's guest. So let me dig in. Let me tell you a little bit about him and how he innovates so that you can listen for it through our conversation and apply some of it to your world. So John is an imaginative instinctual. Those were his two power triggers, his wellspring of innovation. The imaginative side for John is all about playing in the gaps Um, People who are imaginative are really good at like the novel, the new, they're really good at actually innovating in the lack of data. While the rest of us may need more structure, more data, they actually play really well in blank spaces. And then the instinctual side, I always say that, you know, while most of us think A to B to C to D, people who are instinctuals are like A to X over to Y, back to A, then over, over to M. But because of that, as you can imagine, they connect dots in new and meaningful ways. So really good at patterns and insights. In fact, it's connecting things that are seemingly random. That's how they drive innovation. So the magic in imaginative instinctual is novel connective innovation. That's what John's all about. So we're going to hear about him and how he's driven innovation in his world. So John, welcome to the show. Tell the world who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited about our conversation. Uh, so John Austinson, based here in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I've been fortunate that, like so many, have you know tried to climb the career ladder, you know, in the corporate world over many years. But um, yeah, had that inspiration to uh, to break free about six years ago, where I went from public company to private company, and um, had the opportunity and really stumbled into franchising into a world that I've now dubbed non-food franchising. Um, had the opportunity to serve as president of Shelf Genie Franchise System and support all of our uh, franchise owners across North America. And that just opened up my eyes to um, the world of non-food franchising and how there's so many business opportunities um, out there that a lot of people just don't know about. And so now I get the opportunity. Um, we own multiple franchises ourselves with, with my partners, but most of my time is spent playing matchmaker, helping those that have an interest in business ownership um, navigate the sea of opportunities out there and help them understand all the different dynamics so they can make the right choice um, to set them up for success. So I just have to tell you, John, because I uh, recently, I don't own a franchise, but I've recently been introduced more to the world of franchise through other guests that I've had through business dealings. And I think it is such a brilliant business model for someone who's really entrepreneurial, but maybe they're like, I don't have that idea, right, that I want to go forward, but I love car washes. I love ice. I love automotive. I, I mean, I could go on, right? It's in every industry. We just don't even realize it. Um, I mean, is that like, would you describe what a franchise is and does? I just want to have that foundation because I think it's this brilliant, to your point, untapped area that some people are really working, but a lot of us don't even realize it's there. 
Yeah, and I'll start by saying, you know, there are roughly 4,000 franchise brands in the U.S. Um, and across North America, and roughly half of those are in the food space. And a lot of times I found that when people think franchise, they think fast food, but it's all these other industries that I know we'll probably hit on in a minute that a lot of people just don't know about. And uh, franchising by definition is a shared brand. It is support coming from a home office or corporate to the locations. And then it's some sort of compensation going back for that support. Uh, so um, quite a few businesses out there that are becoming franchise uh, every day now. It's exciting. A lot of fr businesses expanding uh, through franchising where, you know, as a franchisee, you're set up with um, a path to profitability from day one. You're not guessing, is there product market fit? Will there be a market for this? And can we make it profitable? You've got a playbook. You know, it's all about execution. You've got that coach in the franchise or on the sideline. You've got colleagues and other franchise owners and other markets who you're constantly sharing knowledge and experiences with. And then ultimately, you're building a business that's going to have exit value down the road. And um, what I found really interesting is that a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, that obviously as a business owner, you're able to write off expenses, build the cash flow, but that exit value on average is one and a half times non-franchised businesses and like-kind industries. A study was done recently that looked into this in, in detail. And so there's a lot of value seen from future buyers in, uh, in the franchising world because that path to success, nothing's totally risk-free, but you have a much higher rate of success yeah. in franchising. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I know that's kind of not the, the, the lane of the podcast or podcast business. Specifically, but I just, it's so interesting to me and I've learned more and more about franchise and how it works and really the unbelievable opportunity over there. I want to bring it to you. Um, what's a recent win or something that you're really proud of? Yeah, you know, I could cite quite a few of these. You know, for me, I get excited when my clients have had success and they're coming back and buying additional locations. And so um, I've got one client that has had a lot of success with multiple franchises that we've uh, helped them get into business with. And in each case, uh, a guy named Nathan Bocock in Columbia, South Carolina, in each case, he's put a young general manager over the business and um, within the first year, come back and bought additional locations, which I mean, that's great validation right there. And so he's now coaching other clients of mine to help them get set up for success in putting that right manager in place, you know, and, and then all the facets that go around that of, you know, the, the compensation, how do you align your interests and how do you get them out of the gate strong? So I, I'd say that's been a big win recently. So let me ask you this. Um, what, from your vantage point, what do you see as some of the misconception or challenges people have launching their business? So when they buy into the idea, right, and you're working with them, what what are the big challenges that they face? And, I, and I'm partially asking this because I know you're in the franchise world, but I feel like that's that apply is going to apply to a lot of us in different worlds too. Yeah, you know, I think in some cases, you know, the, the feeling is that if the playbook is there, then it's turnkey. If it's a non-franchise business, um, you know, I, I think we all see the headlines of the successes out there, but we don't always understand those that didn't make it. You know, I've been very fortunate that only one of my clients over the years did not make it. And there were reasons behind uh, why he didn't. Um, but no, I think a lot of times, you know, people do think that, hey, I'm tired of building someone else's empire. I'm going to go start a business, build my own empire. And I think that they, uh, the thought is that their overnight success, it may not be overnight, but it may happen faster than they believe. Um, so that's a common question that I find for my question, my clients is how fast can we ramp up and really get to that point of break even and profitability? Yeah. It, um, so you said something that I just want to go back to. Actually, there's two things I'm going to bring together for a second. 
in the very beginning, you said, you know, I climbed the corporate ladder and then decided kind of to step off. Um, and then you just said, I was tired of building somebody else's empire, right? That kind of is why people kind of jump off. Um, I'm curious for you because let me, let me back up for a second. So I, I climbed the corporate ladder up to being groomed to be president of this company and realized my ladder was on the wrong wall, right? Like, great, like how successful, wonderful, but this wasn't the wall I actually wanted to be on. I'd climbed this ladder for a long time. And, and I had a lot of fun in that too. So it wasn't all you know pain, but I got to the top and was like, huh. And then had the exact same conversation with someone where um, I had brought in a lot of new business and then got very frustrated because the owner of the company then went and did a lot of great things with that. Now he owned the company, that's his right. But I was like, whoa, I'm building his empire. I'm not building mine. Like, hold on. Um, do you, I'm just curious from your perspective and like your experience, was that was that why you jumped off that wall? Was that kind of, were you tired of building other people's empire? Just those two things to me seem connected. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, you know, similar to you most likely had the stock options, had the title and it was hard to step away, but it's interesting. I, I stepped away and now I get to have conversations every day with clients across North America that there's a common thread. I think that they come to that realization, they'll put it in, articulate it in different ways, but so many people have this desire to own their own thing and to make it on their own. There's just this internal challenge and struggle, I think, in a lot of in a lot of good people. It's human nature. And especially when you look up and look around and you see others doing it, it's like, wait a minute, if they can do it, I can do it. And again, a lot of people just don't know where to start. And you know, you'd mentioned, you know, loving automotive or loving kids or pets or you know, these different sectors. 80 to 90% of my clients end up in a field that was never on their radar. And so it's really fascinating once you start peeling back the onion and understanding do you like working with large teams, small teams? You know, what is your leadership style? What is it that you want that day-to-day to look like? What, where do you want to be five years from now? Is it multiple businesses? Is it one business you go really deep on? What role do you want to play? Once we start peeling back the onion, it opens up the world to a lot of different opportunities, oftentimes in totally different industries than what they were originally thinking. Isn't that fascinating? Like I just, you know, just the other day I was looking at ice machines and I was like, huh, never thought I would look at that business, but here I am looking at ice machines. (laughs) I just had a Wall Street attorney outside of Boston buy a gutter business. He never thought he'd be in gutters. He has no background in that, but he put his business owner hat on and, uh, you know, just made sense. Well, I can't remember who it was that I heard say this. I want to say it was Mike Rowe from the Dirty Jobs in a different podcast, Uh, something like... um, the business owners that really succeed don't necessarily fall in love with the product. They fall in love with the business. And that's a very different mindset. Yeah. With the business and that could be your clients, your personnel, it may not be the industry itself, but you know, it's really interesting too, just to see the macro shifts of what's going out there, you know, coming out of COVID, I think, you know, a lot of people are saying, Hey, I want businesses that are COVID resistant as much as possible or recession resistant, Amazon resistant. And so gravitating towards some of those dirty job type ones, you know, whether it be roll off dumpsters or insulation or, you know, all these industries where you can make a lot of money, you know, there's that potential, but they're not sexy industries. Yeah. Well, I just spoke at an automotive after care mark conference and a lot of those businesses are doing very well, are not sexy at all. And I think we definitely out there, and I think we glorify in the media, we mistake like the businesses, high tech in Silicon Valley and sexy. And those are the ones that make money. But if you really looked at the dollars, it's probably the ones that are not <laughs> those companies. Not those um, companies. And I think a lot of them are looking to innovate. We just did a yeah. 10 unit oil change deal where they use prefabricated kiosk in unused parking spaces of retailers. Well, that's a different 
positioning in a very large industry. So you do see innovation even at that level as well. So I'm really glad that you said that because I think actually, I think you're right. And I think we see even more innovation in the places that you least expect it. Um, and it, and a friend of mine was just saying she just bought jeans at get this JCPenney and she took off the tag and it said made with recycled plastic. And she was like, I didn't even realize it when I bought them. She said, but like there's innovation happening all over the place and it's not all, it's not just in tech is I guess my point. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. What's a story of something that you've done differently or an innovation that you've driven to, you know, help move your business forward or help your clients too? Yeah. You know, I think this is a good lesson for that. A lot of people could apply for me, niching down to non-food franchising was probably the smartest move I made. 95% of my clients reach out to me and say, Hey, we want to work with you because you focus in non-food. You know, everyone else is everything to everybody, very generic. And so cutting out half the market was the smartest thing I ever did. And, um, you know, that didn't take a ton of courage. You know, in some cases, you have to be a little more courageous, but that was a smart move in hindsight. And what I found was my clients didn't want food in large part, 5% do, but 95% don't. And that's not my background either. So by cutting out a large segment allowed me to go deeper in the areas that I've got more interest personally. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition, and I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. So here's what I want the audience really to kind of hear. I, I hope when you're listening to this, you're thinking, huh, maybe sometimes innovation is what I get rid of and what I make space for. And um, let me ask you a question about niching because I sometimes 
I sometimes struggle with that because I look at it and I go, well, everybody could benefit, right? And I know a lot of us think that in our work, whatever, whether we're in a company or we are, you know, have our own company. Um, when you made that decision, though, what was it a hard decision or did it just, did it feel right? Like, what was the place that you were in? Because I want people out there really, I want all every everyday innovators to think about, and I've gone through this too, of what can I cut to focus on what's really right? And it, it's a hard process sometimes to go through. Yeah, I think with my innovative style, which you mentioned earlier, maybe it's a little bit easier for me, but you hear talking heads and business experts all the time say niche down to the very smallest potential market that you can cater to and, and go deep with them. And that's easy to say, but I think when you put it into practice, I mean, again, for me, I'm still keeping half the market. So it's it's not you know as niche down, but you know, within that, there's probably of the hundreds of businesses we work with, probably 30 to 40 at any given time that I'm really going deep with that I really like you know, to present to my clients. Um, so I do think that, that, you know, trying and early in my career, I struggle with, you know, trying to say yes to everything. I'm right now I'm in a pattern of what can I say no to in order to say yes to the right things and really good deep on those. Like I've got a book coming out in Q3 and I've had to say a lot, no to a lot of things in order to get that book out the door. I mean, you know, this, it's, it's not easy to, um, stay in the lane and stay focused because there are a lot of shiny objects out there, but, um, I've kind of conditioned myself of late after making a lot of mistakes along the way to say no to as many things as I can to say yes to the right things. And, and that, that can be applied to your personal life as well. I mean, I've got young kids and so I have to say no to a lot of good things that I'd like to go do, but it's not the season of life right now. I need to spend my time. Yeah. Um, I have teenage boys, so I know exactly how you feel. And I, and you know what though? I love this. I hope like I'm going to write this down on a sticky note when we're done, which is just like, what can I say no to? I love the idea, John, of what you just said of that being a mindset of like, that's the season that I'm in is, is what can I say no to? And I, I think there's so much um, freedom and ease in actually saying no. And it's hard, right? Especially like if we have someone pressuring us to like do the thing, whatever it is, but man, does it free up space to do the right thing. So I'm, I love the way you said that. I'm going to write that down. I have so many sticky notes from these podcasts. I love it of like brilliance that you guys say. So what, are, what, what can I, and I almost want to position it as what do I get to say no to? Because that makes it a good thing versus like, what do I have to say no to? Because that makes it a bad thing, right? Yeah. And you're going to have to keep saying no, because they, they keep coming along. I, I'm a big believer that activity breeds activity. And you know, if you, if you stay active, you're going to continue having good things coming your way. You've got to be on rapid fire, ready to say, uh, ready to say no. And, you know, I, I've also found it, you know, in my life, if I'm looking at analyzing option A versus option B, <clears throat> trying to figure out which one to, to say yes to, which one to say no to, I, I can catch myself over contemplating and I'm much better off starting to move towards one or the other. And when I start moving towards, let's say option a option C out of left field appears again, I, I just think activity breeds activity. So um, I think staying in motion is going to bring the right opportunities your way. I agree. I think I a hundred percent agree with you on that. What is the challenge you faced and how have you overcome it? You know, I, I had a situation this past year with um, two business partners, and, and I've got several sets of partners on different entities, but had two partners, and this is a case where we'd brought in investor funding, which wasn't typical. I, I don't do that in most cases, but I was the one responsible for bringing in the investor funding. And in our case, our operating partner ended up not being the one that we, the guy that we thought he was. And so we had to cut him out, and that put the onus on my other partner to to run the business. And um, it just without getting into too much detail, created a lot of you know challenges um, from what our original plan was. And ultimately I said, what is the best 
in the best interest of the investors over myself. I mean, that was, I wasn't just saying that, but I really felt what was in their best interest. And so I had to make some tough calls on my end to give up my equity, to incentivize my other partner, to run the business well, to benefit the investors. So, you know, that was just a life lesson to myself of, you know, on a few different levels of things I want to do again and things I don't want to do again. But now I'm a big believer that partnerships are great till they're not. So I think that, uh, you know, always having safeguards in place and understanding that, um, as good as it sounds at the beginning, you know, be careful whenever you're, you enter into partnerships. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And I just, I just want to add, thank you for sharing that. Um, cause I think oftentimes we make decisions that for some reason backfire for whatever reason, right. Even though they seem good at the time, I'm just curious when you, when you, how did you, without sharing confidential, I mean, more kind of from a mindset perspective, cause I know you can't share kind of some of those details, but what was it like when you realized I got to make a change. I I think we hold on too long, which is why I'm asking. Yeah. You know, I'm in my life, I'm pretty good about cutting bait pretty quickly, but this was the case just because the different dynamics at play where we probably kicked the can down the the road a little too long. And, um, you know, in hindsight, we should have made a call sooner. And, um, you know, it it was a tough situation and there, again, a lot of dynamics, but I think in hindsight, we should have made the call sooner. And, um, you know, I think that could be applicable to a lot of different things. You know, if you're dating someone, you know, same thing. You're, once you know it's not the right thing, you know, you're better off not just uh, well, going along with it for, for a while. Here's a lesson I take out of that, I got to say is, and I've learned this the hard way in my life too. I'm, I'm pretty decisive now, maybe overly sometimes, is uh, when you kick the can down the road, the problem gets, like that can gets bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to deal with. And it feels good at the time to kick it down the road, but man... When you come back to it, it's like it turns from a can to like a bucket to like a trash can. Like you, it's yeah. So I'm I love that lesson out of that. That's a great lesson for all of us. What what does it mean to you to be an everyday innovator? Yeah, I think what I've you know the whole Dweck phenomenon around growth mindset. You know, for me was really big. Um, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing now for for a handful of years, but I don't know everything. And I continue to learn new things and I embrace them. I try to say no to a lot of things, but th- those that should be said yes to um, try to bring those on board. So just having that constant growth mindset and realizing you can learn something from everybody. And uh, that's something that I think what during my corporate career, career, I probably had more of a fixed mindset. But now, I mean, for me, ever since I left the corporate world, and again, it was a great run, but I never looked back never once looked back. And I have just embraced entrepreneurship and I love it. I love being able to make calls and say yes and say no. But um, for me, just staying open-minded and realizing there's a lot that I don't know. And that's allowed me to get into things I wouldn't have otherwise if I was dead set on a fixed mindset. You know, I think if more of us spent more time interacting with people from the perspective of, hmm, I don't know something, maybe they can teach me something, no matter what type of quote unquote expert we are, I think we'd all be a lot better off. I, th- I think you learn so much from people, even though, and, and I think even if the person doesn't intentionally mean to like give you their expertise, I think if you just go into it with an open mind, something they say is going to spark something in you. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really important lesson. Yeah. Sometimes you need a large enough sample size, you know, where it's, Hey, wait a minute. I heard this here. I heard this here. You know, those, you know, the clues that you pick up in those common threads, you know, can ultimately substantiate. You know what? I think that's a big theme I've said with everyday innovators who are really out there crushing it is um, looking for the common themes of like five people have said they have a frustration here or 10 people 
people have said they want this and like really hearing that I think for most um, I think the lesson for a lot of us is that common thread is probably right in front of us. It's just invisible to us right now because we're not listening for it. Right. So we don't hear it or someone like you, John, like you're out there listening for it. So you actually hear it. It's like when you decide to buy the, you know, gray Toyota forerunner, suddenly every Toyota forerunner on the road is gray. And you're like, I don't remember that being the case. I think it's the same thing. Um, what do you do kind of more on a daily basis, like habits or routines or whatever to stay innovative, stay fresh? Yeah. You know, I think it's giving myself space and admittedly, I don't do enough of that, but uh, you know, on my calendar, <laughs> there's nothing more valuable to me than my time in my calendar. So as much as I can time block and stack meetings and, and such, and then free up time, whether it be in the afternoons, you know, for an hour or two, if I'm working on the book or doing something else, that's a little more imaginative. Um, you know, I'd say that's, uh, you know, again, recognizing, I don't know it all. So I'm constantly listening to podcasts and looking to be fed by others. Um, so I'm a con connoisseur of, uh, information intake. Um, but what I found is oftentimes if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm out jogging, let's say for me, that's when my best ideas come. So I think it's realizing when are you most innovative in your thinking and when do ideas come to you, whether it be in the shower or whether it be when you're driving for me, it happens to be typically when I'm exercising, but I'm, it doesn't have to be quiet. I'm consuming content, but my mind may be going somewhere else. Interesting. So I, first of all, I'm fascinated by the fact that you can listen to podcasts while I run. I need music or I get, I get too into the podcast and then I slow down. I have the opposite problem, but I love what you said in there, which is like, find what works for you and do that. Like, I think that's really powerful. And the other thing you said that I just want to make sure we highlight is about the um, clustering your schedule about time blocking. Um, I, I do that too. And I, and I recently learned that trick about like, I stack my stacking. That's how you said it. I stack my meetings. I stack my appointments um, so that I have days that are free and really free to, to kind of create. And like, Oh, this Thursday, I have nothing. And I hold that so sacred because it's tomorrow for when we're recording this, because I know like I need that time. But in order to do that, I had to stack Monday with five meetings back to back. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're saying. But I think that's great advice for a lot of us. I think we tend to try to spread stuff out, but then we're scattered and distracted and we're ne we never really have the chance to focus. Yeah, I heard recently, and it may have been in getting things done, you know, I was re-listening to that, but the whole idea of you know, your mind is made to think and to be creative and to be innovative and to process everything that you've intake. I think oftentimes we're trying to remember things. And so, you know, getting things on paper, writing it down, you know, I use Trello, that's kind of my secret, but um, you know, it allows me to then once it's down there, I don't have to think about it until the appropriate time. And so it allows my mind to go to these places that might not otherwise, if it's constantly trying to remember things. Yeah. Oh, that's great advice. So I just did that yesterday. I have something I need to do this weekend. And I found myself like I would be doing something else and then that thing would pop in my head. And I was like, just write it down tomorrow and get it out of your head. And the minute I wrote it down, I stopped thinking about it. And, you know, I, I talk a little bit in other stuff about having mental residue and that mental residue weighing you down. And so I love these tricks that you're sharing of it's kind of, to me, it's like clearing space to be creative, to be innovative and to get the important stuff done and to allow the other stuff to happen, but to really get the important stuff done. I love that. Um, so as an imaginative instinctual, what's, and the experience that you have, what's one piece of advice you have for other everyday innovators out there of all styles who are looking to kind of innovate and grow and, and build a, a business and a life just like you have? 
Yeah. No, I think it's staying open-minded and not making uh, assumptions or until you have the facts and, and it's, um, you know, reaching out. One of the things I love about our process, you know, when we take clients through and they, they're exposed to different opportunities that could be a good fit for them in their market, we, we have a step in there. It's called validation. They get to talk to other existing owners of the brand to hear about their ramp up and their experience. And so for me, it's, you know, between that and other information provided by the franchisor, let's give them these different inputs and allow them to make the right decision for them because what's right for one person may not be for another person, but it's that whole fact finding approach, you know, which can be applied to a lot of different areas. Um, you know, I think that's, uh, that's what I would point out. I love it. Those assumptions that we make spiral us out of control, I find. And we're kind of going through all of these scenarios where we don't even know what's really going to happen. I think, I, I think the stat I read was like 89% of what we worry about never comes true. <laughs> It's a lot of it. Wasted energy, if you ask me. Wow. Yeah, I, I like know. That. Yeah. I, so I'm, putting, I, I'm putting that on my sticky note over here. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, someone said to me, it was a different everyday innovator, said, um, my motto is I don't fear what I don't know. And I just thought, you know what? It's kind of what you're saying. Like, I just, to me, that was a really powerful way of saying, like, just don't worry about the stuff you don't know about. Like, great, build out scenarios, be prepared. But don't, you know, don't the tr- let the tracks take over, I guess. Yeah, it's keeping things in perspective. I, I talk to clients every day and they say, well, you know, isn't starting a business risky? And I say, hey, not, nothing's totally riskless, but, you know, with the franchise, it does set you up for success at a much higher rate. And I question them then, isn't having a W-2 working for someone else at their whim and their discretion, isn't that risky? To me, I see discretion. that as risky. Oh my gosh, that just blew my mind. At their discretion. Well, and I, I think, I mean, tell me what you think with the cl- in your world and the clients, but uh, the reality is, um, and, and some people are built to be inside companies. Some people are built to start companies. I don't think one is bad or good. I think they're both great, actually. And you can innovate across all of it. In fact, you should. Um, but I think that what the last particularly, well, what, for those of us who are old enough, what 2008 showed us, and then this last couple of years showed us is none, nothing is secure. No matter what path you take, there's risk and you've got to figure out which which risk you want to take. I don't think it's the level of risk. I think it's which risk you want to take and what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. No, I agree with that. And, and I think keep your options open keep your network large, uh, keeping a good ear to the ground, seeing what's next and, and staying open-minded. Absolutely. I think keep your network large is great advice to end on. You're so right. Like keep, keep the relationships going. So John, this has been fantastic. Thank you for sharing us the world of franchise, but also kind of your insights and saying no. I feel like our, our theme was like finding time and saying no. I really like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna end on a personal note, which is what's a one thing we'd be surprised to learn about you. We already know you you run with podcasts. <laughs> That's one thing that would be a surprise to learn about me. Um, you know, that, that's a tough one. Um, so I, I think I'm pretty open out there, but no, I think just, uh, you know, with our family, I mean, we're, we're very close and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that to whom much is given much is expected. And so the whole idea of stewardship is something I try to live my life by and where that's the time that you invest or the resources you invest in, in different endeavors and people. Um, I, I would just say that's kind of the, the theme of my life. And hopefully it's not a surprise to people uh, if they get to know me, but um, unfortunately, you know, I don't live it as well as I should. So it may be a surprise to many. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I have a really random question for you. Do you go into every business and think, if we franchise this, I would do it this way. Like, do you look at operations every time you walk into a restaurant, a hotel, a like whatever, a dog wash? 
I do give a talk uh, within the entrepreneurs organization of, you know, what does it look like to have a side hustle, you know, as a franchise or what does it look like to franchise your business or to your point, even if you're not going to franchise, I think a lot of businesses would be benefit by thinking of themselves as a franchise, just putting all those systems in place and the training and, and the processes uh, to be able to replicate. I think it's a healthy exercise. I just think it'd be hard to show. I mean, I will tell you every time I fly, I think to myself, you know, if they deliver the drinks this way, this would be a lot more efficient. Like I can't help myself, you know? Yeah, no, I have to catch myself because then my mind starts going in paths I don't need to go when I'm yeah, feeling yeah. inefficiencies, but um, totally relate. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. This has been absolutely fantastic. I enjoy it. Thanks so much for having me. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.